0: All right, well, it is good to be here. Let me invite you to find your seats and open up your, your Bibles. I tell my students uh, almost, almost every week when I tell them to open up your Bible, I say open up your Bible and please keep them open because, remember, preaching is not just someone's TED talk up here giving their own opinion. Preaching is an ambassador taking someone else's message and delivering it to you. So what matters is if it is coming from God and His Word, that's how we know it is Him speaking to us. So with that in mind, let me invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 51. I am preaching on forgiveness and the grace of God this morning, so I will overlook the fact that That uh, it says OU on there. Uh, I promise I will not hold it over your head. Um, But no, I I am really excited. This is a very precious text to me. and, And I would say if there is a goal that I have for this sermon, it's this. Is that as I preach this to you, you pray this back to God. And really, in a way, as God preaches to you, that you would pray back to him. That is actually the Christian life. It is hearing from the Lord and speaking back to him. And this is a great text for that. So Psalm 51, we'll read the entire, the entire chapter. To the choir master, a psalm of David. When Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me. With a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart O God you will not despise do good to Zion in your good pleasure build up the walls of Jerusalem then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings then bulls will be offered on your altar this is the word of the Lord Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are asking that you would open up our eyes to behold, our ears to hear, our tongues to taste, our mouths to speak truth back, that in body and soul you would awaken us and you would draw us near to you by your infinite grace, the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Father, we need to hear from you. And we know that when we hear your word, that you recreate within us. And we're asking for that, Father, because we bring our sin to you and the decreation that we have caused to ourselves. And we are looking to you for restoration. So be with us. This moment and help us to worship you as we hear from you in your word and we ask all this in Christ's name amen when you think of the Christian life what do you think about what is the the normal Christian life for you I remember when I was living in the Boston area during my first year of seminary And I was invited to this local high school to come to a career panel. And what was interesting is that even though I was being trained to become a pastor, uh, they didn't invite me to come speak about being a pastor. They invited me because I used to play for the New England Patriots, and that was way more interesting. So they invited me to come be a part of this career day, and I was on this panel, and they put me in the group of people, and it was... Kind of the exciting uh, uh, jobs where it's like, you know, a detective, uh, an FBI agent, a couple firefighters, and they're like, let's just throw the football guy in there. Um, because, man, running away from linebackers is a lot more scary than jumping into burning buildings. They put me on this panel, and I noticed that when one of the guys sits beside me, he's carrying one of those manila envelopes that I know that my father, who's a veterinarian, he used to take, and whenever he would have an x-ray of a dog, he would take that and put it in one of those envelopes. It was about that size. And I noticed that he had brought that, obviously, for some sort of show and tell. And we're all telling our stories. And here's what happens. This detective, this guy who has the manila envelope, he starts telling the story. And he says, one day I received a strange call. I got called to come to a hospital room where they said a man was, he was handcuffed to the bed. That's kind of a strange, strange thing in a hospital. So he, he comes there and so he starts asking the nurse what's going on. And here's what they discover is that this guy was a construction worker and he began to have some really bad headaches. And he was having some headaches. And if you're a construction worker, especially if you're going to work on a roof, you're having headaches. It's not a very good combination. So he finally went to the doctor and they took some x-rays and they looked at them and they realized something was very wrong. And so this detective, after talking to the nurse and getting the story, he walks in there and he asks this man, he says, Sir, uh, have you ever been in a fight? Well, this guy grew up in... The inner city and he had been in some fights and so he said been in some fights before I don't know why that's that big of a deal he said okay well sir let me ask you a question have you ever been stabbed in the face with a knife now surely you would know if you've been stabbed in the face with a knife correct you would think so but this guy didn't and so this out of And he does this in real life. This is amazing. Out of this manila envelope, he pulls out and shows it to everyone who's there. And I'm just sitting there in amazement. But he also, at that moment, he took the x-ray and showed it to the man. And said, well, then how do you explain this? And there is a three or four inch knife blade that is in his skull. It had been there for years. He didn't know it. You see... We often do not realize what is in the depths of our heart. Sometimes we can look at ourselves and say we're people who occasionally do some bad things, but really we're good people within. We just need Christianity for a little bit of help. We really just treat Christianity and the gospel like it's a band-aid rather than needing a surgeon. But see, it's not enough merely to recognize your sin. Here's what sets Christianity apart. We know there's a knife in our head, but we come to the surgeon to heal us. That's what we do. We bring our sin to Jesus Christ and we confess it to him and we receive the assurance of pardon. We literally just did that earlier. But Psalm 51 is the moment when after David had slept with Bathsheba and murdered her husband, He goes through the time of confession. You see, this is what I want to look at because the normal Christian life is not when we try to hide our sin or act like there's not a knife in our head. The normal Christian life is when we see our sin and we bring it to the Lord for forgiveness. That's what we do. That is the normal Christian life. Let me get you to direct your eyes to verse 1. First, We need to confess our sins. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. You see, you need to ask the question first. Does God really want me to find forgiveness? Well, let me answer that already. Why do you think this is here? Why do you think... This psalm is here and has been carried down to us throughout the years and been protected. It is part of Holy Scripture. It is because God wants you to find mercy in Jesus Christ. And this is a horrific moment in the life of David after he had committed adultery and murdered someone. Okay, look, that's pretty bad. Can we just say that? Okay. If this is here in Scripture for you to pray, then I don't care what you're bringing in here. If you feel like I cannot find forgiveness, that is not according to the Scriptures. Amen? In Jesus Christ, you can find what you need. David is bringing his his sin, his confession to The Lord, and notice that he says, have mercy on me, O God. And he uses two other ways to describe God. He says, you are God of steadfast love. You are God of abundant mercy. These are actually three different words in the Hebrew. When it says, first off, have mercy on me, O God, it means God's unmerited goodness. His goodness that shields us from his wrath. When it talks about his steadfast love, it is God's unchangeable decision to love us no matter what. His abundant mercy is more so, it is his compassion. It's actually this. It's actually a word that is used in many instances when people are desperately in need of mercy. It's also a word that is used of the tenderness of motherly love upon her children. Actually, the Hebrew root word for the second phrase, abundant mercy, the Hebrew uh, word comes from the word for womb in the depths of who God is. You see, God is not doing this, my friends. God does not stand back and say, Do you need some mercy? Do you need some grace? You know, I like to explain it like the t-shirt can in basketball games where, you know, someone sits back and says, who wants a t-shirt? And there's always the people in the top row. and They're like, I want one. And it's never going to make it there. But the guy sits back and he shoots t-shirts. That is not the picture here. God's attributes and God are not separate. God's attributes are who he is. When it says that you receive mercy and grace, you are receiving the God of mercy and grace. Amen? He's giving you himself, even though you don't deserve it. You see, when you think about God as merciful and loving and compassionate, when you bring your worst sins to him, is this how you picture your God? Oftentimes, we don't. We think what we need to do is this, that we need to go on a long enough streak without sinning, then I can come to God. Or we do this, we need to go a long enough season of life of feeling really, really bad about my sin, and then when I feel really good about feeling really bad, then I can bring it to God. But my friends, the God of the Bible is telling you, look, do you want to know how you're growing in the Christian life? The faster you bring your most gruesome sins to me, That's what this is saying. What is he asking God to do? Look at verse 2. He says, wash me thoroughly. That's such a great translation there. He's not just saying, look, use a little bit of water here and there. I just need a a little tune up. No, no, no. Wash me thoroughly. Like put me in the Niagara Falls. Like wash me. Wash me, blot out my sins, blot out my transgressions. He says, look at these three verbs, blot out, wash, and cleanse. He is saying, look, if you're going to do something, do it deeply. Erase them totally from my record. Don't leave anything lingering. This sin has left a mark on me and it appears before you. And I need you to take care of it. You see... What's awesome about this word for wash in verse two is that it's a word that's used many times in the book of Leviticus, but particularly in the chapters of talking about how we need to be cleansed from our sins to be embraced by God. David is saying, look, my sin keeps me from you. And I need you to blot it out. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to erase it so you can draw me near to you. You see, isn't this what baptism points to? Isn't this, isn't this the beauty of what baptism is? That whenever you witness a baptism or you bring your covenant child to the Lord or, or maybe you've never been baptized and you believe in, and you are washed with the waters, what baptism is proclaiming to you is that God is eager to wash away your sins. God is not a stingy God. Who gave us the very sacrament of baptism? Jesus Christ did. Do you think that somehow you can want to be cleansed of your sins more than God wants to cleanse you? You've got to think higher of your God. Parents, you might be really disheartened. Because maybe some of your children have been baptized and they don't believe. Or maybe... Like me, they were baptized when they were young, and they go off to college, and they live the younger son, the parable of the prodigal son. They live that life, and you're heartbroken. Trust these promises. God is always faithful to His Word. You see, baptism reminds us that in Christ, we are washed by the Spirit. Revelation twenty-two fourteen through 15 says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to enter to the tree of life and enter into the city gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. You see, the only people who will not enter into heaven are the people who do not bring their sins to Christ. David was an adulterer and a murderer and much more. But what did he do? He brought his sins to the Lord and he found forgiveness. We're asking the Lord to deeply cleanse us. And notice that there's, there's three words he uses to describe sin. He uses three different words, transgression, iniquity, and sin. What David is saying is not this. I'm... I'm a little bit broken. We like to use that word today, and sometimes it ha- does have a good context to use it, but in many ways it can be misleading. Because sometimes when we look at ourselves and we say, you know, I'm just a broken person, it means that we just need a little bit of help putting ourselves back together. My friends, you are shattered. Ephesians 2, 1 says you are dead in your sins. You do not have a little sin problem. You have a major sin problem, a crippling sin problem, sin that has made God's wrath hang over you until you went to Christ. David is not saying, I have just a couple things here and there that you need to kind of erase from my resume. He is saying, I need you to kill the old self and make me alive in the Savior. You see, but what's amazing is that these same three words to describe sin are also used in Exodus 34 verse 7 when God is saying how willing he is to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to atone for our sins. Amen? God is more eager for you to find forgiveness in him than you are to receive it. See, we confess our sins. We confess our sins against God. Look at... What verse 4 says, against you, you only, have I sinned. See, David's saying, look, my my sins, my transgressions, they're ever before me. I know them, and I know that they're sins against you. You see, some of you are maybe thinking this. You're maybe taking this strategy you say, well, time heals all wounds. But you're doing it in an unhealthy way of saying... I don't really want to deal with this sin. I don't really want to bring it to the Lord. I'm just going to let a lot of years pass over this and then it'll just be forgotten. But my friends, God does not forget our sins. You must bring them to Him. You must bring them to Him in confession. Don't water it down, bring it to Him. You see, that's why John says in 1 John 1, 1.9, he says, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Just bring it to him. David says, it says, against you, you only have I sinned. David's not saying that literally only against God and not against Bathsheba or Uriah or whoever else. He's not saying that it's literally only against God and not them that he sinned. He's saying this, that most egregiously, most importantly, all of our sins are ultimately against him. And that is the problem. Baseball umpire Bill Clem once said, it ain't nothing till I call it. But here's the thing. As good of a quote as that might be for baseball, we don't do that same thing. We don't look at our life and we say, well, it ain't nothing until I call it. Here's the thing. God calls it, and it is sin, and you're out, if I could just carry over that illustration. And you know what? You call it because he's called it. In our world today, we are watering down sin, and what we are doing is saying that this isn't that bad, or this isn't that egregious, or I haven't really done this. But here's the problem. When we water down sin, you inevitably water down grace. Romans 5.20 says that where where sin has increased, grace abounded all the more. But when you make sin small, then you make grace small, and you make Jesus small, and then you make Christianity small, and then people look at the community and say, well, why would I want to be a part of that? The gospel, the gospel says God is bringing in the worst of the worst. And people will look at this community and say, why in the world are they friends? Why in the world do they gather together? They're a bunch of hypocrites. Well, my friends, welcome to the club. I don't know if you knew that about us. But this is the Christian life. We are sinners. There is a knife in our head, but we're bringing it to Christ. Amen? Amen and we find cleansing and forgiveness and healing. See God is utterly correct in his analysis of our sin, but we also don't just confess our sins against God, we confess our powerlessness to obey God. David says, "Look, even from the womb I was a sinner. Even in the moment of conception I was a sinner." He's not saying this, not just I sinned uh like I just did not an act of sinning, but I'm a good person. No, no, David's saying, look, I sin because I'm a sinner. I'm not just confessing the deed. I'm confessing who I am. The problem is our hearts, not just what we do. Jesus himself said that the sins of sexual immorality and gossip and slander and all these things, they arise from the heart of you see, but David is also giving us something that is very relevant for today. Notice that David says that he was a sinner even at the moment of conception. It's a very hot topic today. Certainly our, uh, our students are wrestling with these ethical questions and, and the type of world and culture that they're, they're living in in college. And, and what we need to see here is that the Bible unapologetically is saying that at the moment of conception... That is a person. That is a living being. Now some of you, let me say this very pastorally, there might be several of you here who have had an abortion or you've helped aid in an an abortion. And one of the reasons why I've, I've noticed that some people can be for abortions is because they don't know what to do with the guilt. But my friends... Who is writing this song? A murderer. Who is writing this song? An adulterer. He is calling sin for what it is. But he is saying, look, you can bring this sin to God and not him just dangle it over your head and say, now don't you dare forget this the rest of your life. He is saying, Bring it to the Savior and He will cleanse you. He will wash away your sins. He will remove them from you as far as the east is from the west. Which, by the way, you can't measure. He is saying there is mercy in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness in Him. And no matter how far down the path you run away from the Lord, He is always there with you. My friends, we uphold the ethic, but we also at the same time pronounce grace And mercy in Jesus Christ. Amen? We don't just sit there and say, now you can find forgiveness after a real trial period of being a really good little boy or little girl. And as long as you're really good for a little bit of time, then you can find forgiveness. No, my friend, come to Jesus Christ immediately and all your sins are cleansed. Amen? That's why we uphold uphold the ethic, but we also proclaim grace. And grace becomes more sweet. And grace becomes more precious. And then we want to live a godly life. But if we water down our sin, we water down grace. And if we water down grace, then what is, what's just this business we do every week? This is such an incredible psalm. i got to keep going. We're not going to have time. But this is awesome. As was mentioned earlier by Joanne, Open up your Bible and read it. It's amazing. You see, David is saying, look, I'm powerless to change. And God, you must do a miraculous work within me. You must cause me to be born again. As miraculous as it was for Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and was put in the grave, in the tomb, who had no life in him, and as he rose again from the dead, the Holy Spirit does that to us spiritually. Amen? Let me tell you something. If God saves you at your worst, do you think that now that you've come to Him, that He's going to look at some of your sins and say, oh, that's the last straw. I'm done. Can't take it anymore. Do you, that would be crazy. My friends, Jesus Christ has enough mercy for you tenfold. You see... We need to confess our sins to the Lord. And when we confess our sins to him, look at verse 7. We need to also confess his grace and his mercy. I love this verse. This verse says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now everyone in this room knows what purge me with hyssop means, right? Everyone. I remember for a long time I was like, I'm sure this means something incredible. But I have no clue what it means. Hyssop. What is hyssop? Hyssop was a plant. And what they would do, actually, you see it several times throughout Scripture, but one of the most important times you see it in Scripture was during the first Passover. And they spilled the blood of the lamb, they took hyssop, and they dipped it in the blood, and they painted the blood over their doorpost. Hyssop became a symbolic uh Memory of atonement. When David is saying, Purge me with hyssop, he is saying, Use the best atonement that only you could provide. Use that for my life. And that, my friends, is Jesus Christ because he is the greater Passover lamb. Amen? That's what John the Baptist said when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's him. David is saying, look, I need true atonement. And God is saying, I will give it to you. It doesn't say this. David doesn't say purge me with hyssop. And then I will also do this. And I will also do this. And then I shall be clean. What does it say? Purge me with hyssop. Provide the atonement. And right there, I shall be clean. Jesus Christ is enough. Don't you dare add anything to him. Rest in him. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is enough for you. And you know what? The older you get, as I'm learning, and some of you older people will come tell me, like, we've been waiting for you to understand this. You learn the older you get, the longer you walk with Christ, how sinful you really are and how powerless you are in and of yourself to change. But, my friends, at the same time, you begin to See the wonder of the gospel that Jesus Christ has seen it all and has atoned for it all. Amen? He is enough for you. That's why we bring our sins to him. We hardly have time to keep going. But let me leave you with this one quote that I think is really relevant that I've used many times. There's one psychiatrist who had once said this. I could dismiss half of my patients... If I could just look them in the eye and give them the assurance that their sins are forgiven. Imagine that. What would you do if you could have absolute assurance that all your sins are forgiven? Do you know what you would do? You would do what David does as he does at the end. You would teach transgressors God's ways. You would have the the Lord open up your mouth and you would sing of him. You wouldn't sit there and constantly think, have I done enough? Am I enough? You would say, he is. And with that freedom, I am able to worship the Lord because he has taken away all of my sins. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the one who can do that for you, brothers and sisters. And yes, I drove all the way here to tell you an answer that you should already know. It's Jesus and it's his mercy. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we do ask. That you, in your mercy, that you would help us to understand how willing you are in Jesus Christ to forgive us, to cleanse us, to wash us from all kinds of sin. Lord, we're so stubborn and we're filled with such unbelief and we often think I can't bring this to you and you're there for us. So help us in here. Lord, send these people back to Your Word to unpack the riches that are here for we could have spent 30 years here. But, oh God, we know that in Christ that is the ultimate example, the ultimate testimony that there is mercy for the worst of sinners here. And so would You bring true renewal in our hearts? And would You bring assurance of the forgiveness that is in Christ? And may we rest in Him. May we respond in singing and praying, and praising, and even giving. And Father, we do ask, even now, that you would help us to give out of the overflow, not out of a guilt trip, but out of an overflow of what you've done for us. Lord, we thank you so much. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Say